Shalom Aleichem. Welcome to The Schmooze, the Yiddish Book Center's podcast. I'm Lisa Newman, host of The Schmooze. Today's episode is part of a series of conversations with Yiddish Book Center's Zomlers, volunteer book collectors. To celebrate the Yiddish Book Center's 40th anniversary in 2020, we're looking back at the Yiddish Book Center's storied history. As part of this effort, we wanted to share interviews with our Zomlers, who have been and played a crucial part in helping us to rescue over a million books in the last 40 years. In Outwitting History, Aaron Lansky, founder and president of the Yiddish Book Center, recalls the early days of book collecting. There was a dynamic to our work. The more books we collected, the more word spread, the more books there were to collect. By midwinter of the first year on the road, it was clear that the immigrant Jews had been more avid readers than anyone imagined. Yiddish books were scattered in virtually every city in North America, and there was just no way that we, a handful of young people with extremely limited resources, could collect them all on our own. We needed help, so I decided to organize a network of Zomlers, volunteer book collectors, who would gather books in their own communities and ship them to our Massachusetts headquarters. People signed on all across North America. Some were elderly, others were young people who didn't speak a word of Yiddish, but they were all grateful for the chance to act, to do something practical, to reclaim a culture that was disappearing before their eyes. As Aaron writes about that history, we just want to say how grateful we are to all of our Zomlers, past and present, for their work helping in the rescue and recovery of Yiddish books over these 40 years. To date, we've rescued over a million Yiddish books, and we continue to receive thousands every year, both shipped to us directly and shipped to us through our network of Zomlers throughout the country. We're delighted to be able to share some of their stories here on The Schmooze. and welcome to The Schmooze, the Yiddish Book Center's podcast. I'm Lisa Newman, and today I'm visiting with Julie Plout Mahoney. Julie is a Yiddish Book Center Zomler located in the west, the eastern excuse me, part of Massachusetts and is visiting with us today as part of our series of interviews with Zomlers, volunteer book collectors. Welcome, Julie. Thank you. So I think it's been a while since we met here at the Yiddish Book Center, Correct. I think it has, a year or two, yes. Yeah, you were out here, which was lovely to make the introduction. Yes. So we had that introduction, but let's go back a little bit further. I'm curious to hear the story of how you found your way to the Yiddish Book Center. I believe it was through the U.S. Mail Service. (laughs) Long live the U.S. Mail Service. I was living at home, having recently graduated from college, working, living at my mom's house and she got a postcard from the National Yiddish Book Center advertising the summer program, which literally flipping through the mail, I picked up, I called, I applied for a scholarship, I got one, I went to the program for a week, I loved it, and at the end I said, thank you so much for the scholarship, how can I pay back? And the person I was speaking with said, become a Zomler. And that was in, I'd say, 1992 or 93, and I have been doing it ever since. So the program that you attended was one of our earlier sort of iterations of the summer, was it a Yiddish program? 
Yes, it was one week we slept in the dorms at Mount Holyoke College in Western Mass and ate there and had lectures and I believe it was during the time that the book center was formally housed at a building at Smith College. Right, that sounds about right. Um, and again, those were the, you know, the earlier days. We were founded in 1980. Um, so uh, it's always interesting to hear about that experience from you earlier alums of our programs. So what about it spoke to you? Did you have any Yiddish proficiency or I'm just curious what drew you to applying and then working with us all these years later. I had no Yiddish proficiency except for the same 20 words that many Jewish people have, and frankly, most Americans probably have at this point. But my grandmother was a Yiddish speaker. My mother was not. My grandparents spoke Yiddish in front of me when I think they didn't want me to know what I was. they were talking about. If they were not conversations I was welcome in. So what drew me to Yiddish was the culture and the feeling of connection and the feeling of closeness to my grandparents and my mother's side of the family, which was all from the shtetl Yiddish-speaking part of the world. Always curious to ask as well, coming to a program like you did back then, with little understanding of Yiddish language and culture, um, something... I can relate to. What was the experience like, and what were some of the takeaways from that? You know, I felt immediately comfortable because the other people who were there felt culturally familiar to me. I, as a, someone in my early 20s, I felt I was at that time in the Book Center's summer programming, I think I was really sort of an odd duck in that most people there were older than me, and anyone younger than me was a grandchild who was much younger than me. So I think it was me and maybe one or two other people in our early 20s. Um, so socially, it was not... It's, socially, I had to stretch. I found myself in a lot of conversations with much older people, which I ended up... I mean, I have a, I have a PhD in sociology, and I trained in gerontology, so I... I've always enjoyed being around older people, so that felt comfortable to me. But I was – there were not many other people in their 20s and 30s. Let's put it that way. Okay. I think that was what we referred to as camp back then. Um, it just felt yeah. like camp. <laughs> yeah. Um, it, well, yeah. <laughs> Something like that. In a great way. Yeah. Yes. In a great way. That was how somebody described it to me. So then I believe it was when you asked about how you could help, um, you were urged by Catherine Madsen, who was our bibliographer at that point. She was a bibliographer here at the center until she retired. She was here for 18 years and did an amazing job um, yes. helping us to get things put together. Um, and uh, again, I guess, what about that program made you say, sure, I'll do this? You know, I had gone to UMass Amherst and have a very soft spot and love for the western part of the state and we spend a lot of time in the Berkshires. So for me to sign up to help an organization um, in Amherst, in Western Mass, felt great. My husband also went to UMass Amherst, and we go out two or three times a year to enjoy being there. So for me, it was a natural 
if I collected books um, in the Boston area, a lot in Brookline, Brighton, you know, two or three times a year, we'd put all the books in the car and the kids and go straight to the book center and drop them off and then go have a piece of pizza at Antonio's and enjoy being in Amherst. So it, it really worked with my husband and my sensibilities and our family life. Well, so I'm going to, for our listeners, talk a little bit about the Zomler program, which is really a, um, so foundational to the, to the center and our work rescuing these books over these past 40 years. So Zomlers, as we mentioned, are volunteer book collectors. And you, this network of volunteer Zomlers is located both in the states and around the globe. And, you know, we can't thank you enough for the work that you do. It's, it's absolutely critical to providing opportunities for people to have us collect their books. It's what Aaron Lansky wrote about in Outwitting History, because in the early days, Aaron and his um, cohort were out on the road and realized that they needed more and more people. So I wonder if you would share a little bit about maybe some of what you do um, and then maybe a couple of stories um, that you want to share about maybe encounters with some of the people or the books or what have you along the way. Yeah, you know, in thinking about us talking on the phone this morning, um, one thought that really came to mind, well, first of all, a I could list the joys and the pleasures all day. The one challenge I have found over the years is when people ask me if I read Yiddish, if I speak Yiddish, could I please translate this for them? And at first I felt, especially when I was younger, I felt a little bit like an imposter. Like here I was showing up on their door to pick up their books, and they're asking me to tell me, to tell them what, in fact, they have. And I don't have the knowledge to do that. So I used to feel like an imposter a little bit, and that didn't make me feel good. And then I just sort of said, you know what, it's part of being Jewish to figure out that it's all okay, what your background is, what you know, what you don't know. It's the moment that you are at right now, and I, I, I don't feel that way anymore. But I do think that's part of the Jewish experience for a lot of people. You know, I'm not Jewish enough. I don't know enough. Um, but over time, I've really let that go. I think another a, a positive and something I've noticed consistently through the book picks up, pickups over the years is you're often interacting with people at a time of transition. They're moving, and they're not going to take the books. The, uh, one of their elders died and left the books, and they want to give them a good home, and they're asking you to help them do that. So usually the people who you interact with often are in some sort of transition. And I find that poignant, and I'm glad to be a part of that and supportive and feeling a very tender responsibility to get those books back where they belong. So picking up on that, I know you've been to the center to drop off books, and as I say, I met you for the first time a couple of years ago when you were here. Yes. What is that experience like when you visit the center and you see the books, um, you know, which you've helped to bring here that you know other Zomlers have sent from around the globe, we've done rescues, and to know that you've played a part in finding this you know, safe home for the books here. And I think you have an awareness, I hope you do, of 
how these books are being shared with a new generation of readers. Our translators are able to find books that we had no idea existed, and you know we're just unearthing lots of stuff. Scholars use this. There must be um, a bit of a moment when you kind of just are allowed to step back and look at the books and think, wow. Yeah, well, it's a Shehekianu moment, right? When you walk in the door, it's a stunningly beautiful building designed to look like a shtetl. You walk in, the books are beautifully taken care of and organized. One of my favorite memories when my kids were little is my son ran ahead ahead of me, and when I found him, he was standing in front of a huge crate of books that had arrived from Zimbabwe. And it had all these markers all over it, and it said Zimbabwe, and I kind of teared up. I had found my toddler son standing in front of a huge wooden crate from Africa filled with Yiddish books. So, yeah, it's a very immediate feeling of being something part of much bigger than I am. And how do you think it's impacted your kids? Oh, it's definitely impacted my kids. I mean, first of all, when they were little, putting them in the back seat and telling them where we were going and forcing them to enter, you know, an apartment or a home. They didn't know the people, shaking hands. Um, People often had accents. That's something for a child to, you know, to deal with. Um, And seeing me really being active and putting my money where my mouth was in, you know, this is what we're going to do for a couple of hours because this is important. Um, And I know it's made an impression on both of them. Do they understand sort of the legacy of Yiddish? Now they do. I mean, one is in college and one is a senior in high school. And they, this is just part of our family. I mean, this is just, they have never not known it. I did, I started this before they were born and now my second one's almost out of the house so it's just part of what we do and it feels good to do it in such a real and immediate way year after year is there one particular book one particular rescue one particular experience along these many years because you've been doing this for close to 30 years which is quite incredible a long time. I think one that really makes an impact on me is when I went to do a pickup and the man was in a wheelchair and he asked me, usually people want to help me with the lifting and put them in the car, almost like I really want to see that they're going from my house to the next house. And um, physically, he wasn't able to do that, but he directed me, and it turned out to be box after box of Yiddish, of, of music, of albums. And a lot of them sort of smelled musty, and there was some mold, um, but they really were in incredible condition. And I think I actually drove them out to the book center the next day because I just... I just really wanted to get them to where he wanted them to be, and I didn't even want them to spend a few weeks in our house. I just I just had a very intense feeling of responsibility to get them to Amherst. Yeah. So I'm, I'm almost sure I went the next day. It is a huge responsibility, and it's also a gift, yes, to be able to do this. Oh, it's a gift. I mean, it's a gift to 
Alan Lansky and the Book Center's larger purpose for sure. But like I think of a lot of volunteering, I have run a lot of volunteer programs, and I've learned from my experience that the volunteer has to feel the volunteer initially volunteers because of the impulse to for, from some altruistic impulse to help. But I think you have about a month to help the volunteer feel connected to the organization and to other volunteers in order to keep feeding the volunteer because the volunteer keeps doing it largely because it feeds them. And so selfishly, I mean, it's fed me for, I mean, I've been doing this for almost 30 years. And has it slowed down for you? It's definitely slowed down. And, you know, there were times, there were years when I felt like I was doing a pickup every month or two and there have been years when I think I've done one or two, and then there are sort of busy times. I've just sort of sensed busier times of the year, maybe when people are are cleaning out, for lack of a better word, and want to give their items their next home. Um, so I don't want to overstate it. There have been years when I've literally done three pickups. Right. But I think the point is that me, like all of the other Zomlers were on call. And there are many Zomlers in the Boston area. And if I can't do it, if I'm out of town, someone else can. And, of course, I'm there when – so so we're a, we're a bank. We're really a bank of – or a small army of volunteers there to do what we can do when it needs to be done. A huge army of volunteers, as it were, um, again, critical to the work of the center, our mission to rescue um, and redistribute these these books and this may be a silly question uh are there instances where um people will hold on to one or two books because they're just too hard to let go yes yes and sort of a common that's an interesting question because sort of a common i want to say routine or um scenario so i'll go to someone's house They'll, you know, by appointment, we will have already talked on the phone or emailed, and they want to show me the books, and they want to show me, tell me where they came from, and then we're going through the bags or the boxes, and they say, you know what, I'm going to keep this one. So no question, no question, um, and no question. And also, where we live, we have a covered entrance to our home, so it's actually great for book drop-off. So over the years, we used to have this joke that we would come home and the front portico of our house would be filled with boxes of Yiddish books. Um, so I get drop-offs as much as do pickups, and I'm sure there are plenty of people grabbing a few books back before they drop off. Has there been any one great find that's come in? That's funny. I once thought I saw a book of Shakespeare in Yiddish. I think, but I couldn't. I I couldn't say for sure. Well, it's very possible. <laughs> very, very possible. I I think also. Just you've got me thinking now. I think being involved in the book center is a way of expressing of being involved in the Jewish community that is not religious per se. It feels very cultural to me and it's really a pleasure. Well, 
Julie, thank you so much for the work that you've done, um, for your involvement with us, and for the many books that are now back uh, safe here and also in the hands of new readers who are doing interesting things beyond just reading them. Some of them are translating them and some of them are contextualized in, in scholarly works. And we certainly do hope you'll come back soon, whether or not you have books in tow. I will. I just saw Fiddler on the Roof in Yiddish in New York. And at the moment, I feel like I can't get to the Yiddish Book Center fast enough. So thank you for what you do. Well, um, maybe we'll see you here for Yidstock, if not sooner. I hope so. Thank you. All right. Take care, and thanks again for your work. Thank you, Lisa. Bye. Bye-bye. You've been listening to The Schmooze, a production of the Yiddish Book Center in Amherst, Massachusetts. For more on Yiddish and Jewish culture, visit YiddishBookCenter.org. Today's podcast was coordinated by Sam Brivik and produced by Sarah Blakefeld. Be well. Be healthy and tune in again soon. Bye.